It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation 2020 COVID, it has forced us to change a lot of things in our day-to-day lives from the way we work, from the way we go to school. I mean, even right now as we record, I have three kids downstairs uh, you know, doing virtual school. But what we are experiencing this year it's just the beginning of those changes. And today's guest is very much knowledgeable of those changes to come moving forward. He is a graduate of the Yale School of Management and Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. He is the founding partner of Deloitte Consulting's U.S. Future of Work Practice and the global editor since 2011 of the Global Human Capital Trends Report. He has lived and worked in the United States, India, Russia, Belgium, Kenya, and Israel, and he is also the author of Work Disrupted, Opportunity, Resilience, and Growth in the Accelerated Future of Work. He is Startup Nation, Jeff Schwartz. Jay Schwartz, how are you good, sir? I am doing very well. Looking forward to our conversation. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. And, you know, like I said, we're, we're here in 2020 in the era of COVID and a lot has changed a lot had, you know, from remote work and stuff like that. And you have this amazing book. Just kind of talk about the state of where we are with the future of work and stuff right now. Well, it's interesting, um, Dominic, because we've been talking about the future of work for some time. I have to, I want to start with a, with a little story. When sure. I told my younger daughter, who's, who's 26, that I was writing a book on the future of work. She, she joked with me in a way that a 26-year-old can with her father or with her mother and said, well, why are you writing a book on the future of work? Work's always had a past. It's always had a present. It's got a present. It's always got a future. So mm. what's unique about the future of work right now? And I think there are two elements of this, Dominique, in the question. One is that the reason we're talking about the future of work is that we are living in accelerated times. Right. And, and we've certainly seen this through COVID-19 and its impact on us. Uh, many people early on, March, April, um, and May started using phrases like COVID is a time machine to the future. Mm. COVID is really helping us understand how the future of work is now. So the context is very important. Most of the trends that we're talking about in Work Disrupted, which are really about how we've disrupted work itself, how we've seen disruption in workforces, how we've seen disruption in workplaces, are about how changes have accelerated. I'm really looking forward to talking about what some of these accelerations and shifts really look like. Gotcha. No, it's a fascinating time, you know, and and like you said, it seems like, you know, we were kind of heading in this direction, but COVID has just kind of put us, like you you know, said, a time machine or just basically warp speed us kind of towards that future. You know, I, I, I guess I kind of want to dive into that just a little bit more because, you know, we we hear a, a lot of times about like, you know, not just remote work, but we hear about machines taking jobs and stuff like that. And in the book, you kind of talk about that, you know, people cite this whole 47 percent uh, headline of like, you know, machines and robots taking jobs, but it's been misinterpreted. Kind of talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. So the way the, the way the book's organized, the way my thinking has been organized, Dominic, I, I've really looked at at, 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 a, at a few questions. We touched very briefly on the first one. Why really look at the future of work at all? And 
it's fundamentally about the fact that we are living in an age where disruption and change is happening very fast, whether it's Moore's Law, change of consumer markets, uh, demographic changes, the world's more urban, even with current changes we're seeing, we're living, we're, we're, the population is both getting older and younger, which is a very interesting aspect of it. Right. But it's certainly more predictable. The, the second set of questions really look at what I call the sort of opportunity questions in the book. And there are opportunity questions around how people and machines work together, questions about how employment models are changing, and questions around how workplaces are changing. And speak directly to your question, this sort of famous 47%. Um, uh, two professors at Oxford in 2013 uh, wrote a report where they were analyzing the, the potential impact of automation on specific tasks within specific jobs. Right. And, and the report effectively was reported, and it was misreported, Dominic. The way that the report was, was publicized was that 47% of jobs are going to go away and we're going to be replaced by machines. Right. Actually, what the report said was 47% of jobs have some percentage of specific tasks, which in part can be done by a machine, or let me put it another way. About half of us can expect that our jobs may change in some way or significantly because we are working next to and with smart machines and robots. And th that really is the change that we're, that we're seeing. And what I think what we're expecting, what I'm certainly expecting is that all of us should expect to be working with and next to some type of smart machine. Now, of course, you know, we're, we're having these discussions on, on internet telephony. We're all walking around with supercomputers in our pockets. We call right. them smartphones. Um, so a lot of the technology is here. But the real challenge is moving beyond a sort of automation substitution strategy mm -hmm. and really thinking about ways that, that, and really thinking about ways that people and technology can do new things. Gotcha. And, and if I might, um, Dominic, I'd like to give one really, really interesting, almost famous example Please do. Of, 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 of how people and machines working together has played out in a way that's obvious, but counterintuitive, right? And, and the brief story I'll, I'll tell is the story of ATM machines, automatic teller machines, right. which I think everybody is familiar with, although now we're banking on our, on our phones, our mobile phones themselves. The ATM machines started coming out in the U.S. and around the world in the late 1970s, 79, 1980. There are hundreds of thousands of them. I don't know about you. I don't spend a lot of time in a bank branch, but I do spend some time getting cash. I'm a little old-fashioned in, in that way. Gotcha. Um, but when, we, when, when, when this was introduced, there's been some great research done at Boston University on this, you would have, one expectation was that we introduced ATM machines and the number of people working in bank branches would go down. Because what we used to do in a bank branch was we used to deposit money there and get money at the bank branch. That's what the retail bank branch was for. Well, actually, since we've introduced ATM machines in the 1990s and the early 2000s, the rate of job growth of retail bankers, people working in local bank branches, has actually doubled. Mm. It actually grew faster than the average sector of the labor economy. Even more interesting, the number of bank branches went up considerably. So think about that. We add technology to the equation. 
and we open more physical locations and we hire more people, but those people are doing different jobs. They're no longer dispensing and taking in money. Occasionally they do that, but they're working, they're selling new financial products. They're helping people understand new mortgage products. They're helping people understand uh, different investment products. And they're dealing with new problems. They're dealing with cyber issues and fraud issues where I don't know about you, but if I have a cyber fraud issue, I don't like to talk to somebody about it. Absolutely. I'm not sure I want to talk to a machine about it. Absolutely. So, so the question becomes in an interesting way, what is your version in your life working with technology of the ATM question? How do people and technology do more and different things together? And that, that really, I think, is the story from the famous 47% that I would really like to highlight and I really try to highlight in the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I appreciate that. You know, it is interesting when you talk about the bank branches, because I mean, they still have them, but it just they just look different. I, I can't tell you how many times I walk into uh, my neighborhood branch here in Tennessee and it, it looks almost kind of like a coffee shop. Right. Where it, it's a little bit more inviting. You know, right. It, it's like, you know, true enough, you have bankers there and stuff like that. But the atmosphere is just so uh, different. And it seems like they kind of cater more towards customer service as opposed to the uh, the ins and outs of credits and debits and cash dispensing and stuff like that. And so it just seems like, you know, go to what you said, just really interesting about how, you know, it, it's just like those automated parts are just done by machines. But it's almost like you're creating more value in other places. Is that fair to say? I think that's, I think that's a great summary of what we're seeing. And I think the bank branch, absolutely the bank branch today is beginning to look more like um, a coffee shop, mm-hmm. um, but it looks like a high tech coffee shop. It does. Doesn't it, Dominique? Which <laughs> it is, does. you know, there's screens everywhere. And, you know, almost always when you're talking with a banker or an advisor or a mortgage lender in that branch, whether you're sitting on a couch or at a chair or a regular desk, everyone is wired to the hilt. I mean, they've got a computer in front of them. They've got a mobile device. I don't know how many times I've recently I've been in a, in a bank branch or I've been on the phone and they're literally sending you a security text to confirm that you're the person you say you are, even if you're sitting in front of them. Right. And the point is, that this very human experience, this coffee shop style bank branch is, is wired to the hills. Mm-hmm. And it really is an example of one of the things that, that I talk about in, in Work Disrupted, which is in our individual jobs, how we're going to do what I call super jobs. Mm-hmm. A super job is when you combine a person with technology so she or he can actually do their work. Right. And then if you combine teams of people with technology, you get a super team. And so in an interesting way, we'll get to be superheroes in the future, but you know, we are, we are working with technology and the question is how it allows us to go further and how it allows us to do new things. Now I'm, I'm trying to sort of, uh, I try in my book to hit an optimistic note. There are obviously some, some, downside issues here and i i don't want to underplay them as well we can go into that because i think it is important for sure for sure no i i appreciate that that duality that you're you're trying to express and i want to get to that other side uh here just a second uh but startup nation i think it's important that you know as you grow your teams and stuff like that and and you think that oh maybe i can just instead of employing a a person i can just get this ai or robot type of situation or whatever the case may be i I think it's just important to point out that 
you know, like like Jeff was saying earlier, uh, you know, if there's a cybersecurity issue, I don't necessarily want to talk to a robot or a artificial intelligence, stuff like that. There's always need to be some type of human element uh, when we're catering to our customers and and offering our products and services. So, Jeff, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, I'd like to I'd like to be able to dive into this question a sure. little bit more because Absolutely. the 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 question that we're we're touching on is probably the biggest misunderstanding in the future of work has to do with how we think about AI in the workplace mm-hmm. and and how we reframe it. And we've talked a little bit about ATM machines. We've talked a little bit about super jobs and super teams. But, but as your question highlights, and I think for, for the startup live audience, I think this is a, a really interesting perspective. Technology and people, as we look at work, really are doing three things at the same time. Okay. And we tend, Dominic, to only focus on one, right? Of course, technology in some ways can substitute with some of the tasks and some of the work that people do. Um, and that's fine. I mean, there are... You know, there are routine tasks that we have. I know the routine tasks that I have. I'm okay with a dishwasher, by the way. <laughs> right. um, some people, you know, right? I mean, there are, and, and you know, by putting my dishes and my uh, cups and glasses in the dishwasher, um, that's a clear labor substitution. Right. But when you substitute labor with technology, what you get is unleashed capacity in time. And so the question for all of us, certainly if if I'm not washing the dishes, I have an extra 20 or 30 minutes. The question is, what do you do with that time? Right. Right? And then that really, I think, is the central question that we need to focus on much more as we're thinking about technology and people working together. If we automate, how are we using the unleashed time? The second thing we're looking at is how do we use the technology to augment what we can do to give people you know, literally I call it superpowers. Right. These are very simple, right? Simple ideas. A human with a calculator can calculate more quickly than a human with a pencil and a piece of paper. Right. A human with a spreadsheet can do the same. A human with, with, uh, with calculating machines can obviously augment what they can do. They can actually process more information. They can do it more quickly. They can do it more powerfully. But, but the thing that we're really aiming for is the third element of this, which is beyond automation and substitution, beyond augmentation, how do people and machines collaborate to do new things that neither could do separately mm, before? Gotcha. Right? And, and so in, in that sense, the, the future, as one of my colleagues, Natalie Nixon, who wrote a great book on creativity called The Creativity Leap, she said the opposite of being reactive is probably not proactive, it's being creative. Mm. So what we're really aiming for is building on this trajectory of automation, augmentation to collaboration to doing new things. And that's, that's really where the most exciting part of the future of work is for us as both individuals and as organizational business leaders. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I appreciate all, all of that for sure. You know, I, I want to ask you this because... You know, as we're kind of, you know, a lot of us are kind of doing have shifted to remote work and stuff like that. And I was covering a a conference here in in Tennessee uh, and one of the professors at Vanderbilt uh, was saying that he can kind of see a world where a he doesn't think we're necessarily going completely back to what it was about you know 10 months ago. Uh, But he said he can imagine a world where more and more people 
move out into the rural areas and 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 want to you know get you know live somewhere where there's a lot of fresh air and stuff like that, not necessarily be in the big city, remote work, uh, and just kind of do uh, that kind of you know uh, uh, career and stuff like that. Do you kind of see that like more more people maybe moving back into the rural? area because i mean come on you can you can get you know uh, toilet tissue and stuff like that kind of airdropped through amazon these days so grocery store shopping is not a big deal as much as it used to but can you see that as well with the future of work you know in what you're saying and what you're seeing i don't think there's any question that what we've been through in 2020 with covid um the you know um has fundamentally shifted how we are thinking about, and hopefully how we will think about these questions of where and, and how we work. We, we actually spent a lot of time in the last decade. We had what I, what I call the book, we had the office wars, uh, Dominic. We, mm-hmm. we, we bounced back and forth between, is it okay to telework and work at home, or, or do we have to bring everybody back to the office? But we, we went through this um, really intense, challenging, not easy what I'll call, you know, forced experiment in 2020, right? Yeah. I mean, half the people that worked in formal um, environments um, that could work remotely worked remotely. Before that, it was about 3 to 5%. Right. And at some point, different parts of the world, again, we're talking about the formal workforce, I mean, half the workforce literally was working remotely. They were doing some equivalent of Zooming or Skyping or Microsoft Officing or, or WebExing, whatever the technologies were. Right. And, you know, one, you talked about your three, I think you talked earlier about your three kids who are, oh, I'm not sure how old they were, but if they're kids, maybe they're, they're studying from home. You know, I mean, at one point, we had 1.6 billion students around the world who were doing some version of remote learning um, and, and were involved in some sort of remote classrooms in, in different ways. What have we taken from that? Um We've learned that although there are some challenges with remote work and remote learning, we can probably do more of it than we than we thought. Right. And this really goes to one of the central questions that we're looking at in, in work disrupted is what follows work disrupted? What follows the COVID-19 extended recovery that we are clearly in right now? Is it a return to what we did before or is it some version of an acceleration into what's next? And at least in my mind, and this is what I talk about in the chapter in the book on on sort of work from anywhere mm-hmm. um, or work from everywhere, is we will see much more hybrid work, not, not just remote work, Dominic, obviously. Right. We'll do some work remotely and virtually. We'll do some work where it makes sense to be in a meeting place or a workplace where collaboration and social interaction is critical. We are social beings. Of course. There'll be certain work in laboratories where it makes sense to do that. But not only will work be more hybrid, physical and remote and virtual, it will also be much more flexible. And we've learned a lot as we've been in each other's living rooms and home offices and bedrooms, you know, <laughs> um, working from our couches, um, of the importance of integrating work and life. You know, as I like to say, you know, I mean, if you don't see dogs and kids and cats in the background, something is wrong because we do live integrated lives. Um, So I do think we're going to see shifts and some of that will involve people feeling that they can live in different places and different parts of the world. And there's been some very interesting research on 
on people who are moving out of the cities, people are moving into the cities, people are moving to rural areas, people are moving to warmer areas, people are moving all over the world because of the experiments we're doing with remote work. The main point, I think, is I don't think we're going back to what we did before. Gotcha. And where we are working in the same place, we will be much more deliberate about how we're using that place, why it makes sense and why it's important to have people together to do the things that we uniquely can do when we are in the same place at the same time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Let me do a quick reset here. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Jeff Schwartz, the author of Work Disrupted, Opportunity, Resilience, and Growth in the Accelerated Future of Work. And if you want to put get a copy of that book, Startup Nation, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access as that book is out now. So go ahead and put that uh, in your entrepreneurial toolkit. And speaking of our entrepreneurs, uh, Jeff, you know, who are moving forward, you know, what does that look like as a leader, you know, help guiding and shifting and molding your team into this next, you know, phase of what work looks like? And also, you know, uh, I guess it's a two part question. What does that look like as far as the leader ushering your team into that new phase? And what are some of those those first hundred days should look like? Uh, you know, in 2021, uh, as we prepare for not necessarily the new normal, but this next phase of of working remotely, working differently, working uh, in this future of work. Now, Dominic, this is a great question. And and um, whichever one I pick to start with, I'm picking the wrong one or the right one. So okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll, start with how, <laughs> I'll start with how I'll start with where I think leadership and management is going. Sure. And then I'll talk about what we do in the first 100 days of 2021 and really how we work in sprints going going forward. So this goes back to uh, a point I wanted to make um, uh, maybe earlier in the discussion. I'll make it now. The fundamental to work disrupted is the idea that the 21st century work, leadership, management, careers in the 21st century really require us to be accessing and applying different mental models and different mindsets mm. than 20th century models. Um, it's sort of like trying to navigate um, uh, a city. It's like going to Houston um, in 2021 with a map of Houston that was published in 1950. Most of the roads and most of the buildings and most of the neighborhoods just aren't there because of what happened. And yet in leadership and management, we are using outdated leadership and management models way too much as we're, we're going forward. We know that work is more team-based. We know work is less predictable. Right. We know work is much more focused on a portfolio of new problems. And yet the historical role of managers has really been framed and is still framed in terms of supervising, almost monitoring the workforce and their productivity. Right. And this is the big shift we're seeing, that the shift is not about managing predict, predictable, stable work, because a lot of predictable, stable work will be done by machines and people with machines. The shift is, and the challenge is for leaders to think about how do they fuel performance? How do they build performance? How does, that's why coaching is so important. It's not enough to supervise workers to make sure that they're doing their assigned tasks. It really is about managers constantly coaching, developing individual workers, forming and reforming teams. And that's why the whole image of what coaches do in sports um, is so relevant here. 
Managers of sports teams do a lot more than assign players to the roster for the game. Mm. Right? They're working on plays. They're working with individual sub-teams. They're working with individual members. And I think that's what, what is, is really, really critical. And in addition to coaches, there are a lot of new roles that we need to be thinking about as leaders um, of different kinds of organizations. Coaches is one. Designers is another. I often say, Dominic, we don't need to manage the future as much as we need to design the future. Mm. Um, thinking about leaders as psychologists, understanding the role of nudges in behavioral economics, thinking about leaders as, as cultural anthropologists, and then thinking about leaders as, as sort of the stewards, if you will, um, in, a, in a digital world. So there's a very important opportunity for us to ask, are we leading and managing in 21st century ways? Got you. The second question that you the, the second question you asked, I think, is the other side of the question is, what do we do in the first hundred days of 2021, right. the first quarter of 2021? And um, again, sort of two observations. One is, I think it's really to think about. I think it's really helpful to think in terms of. <clears throat> I think it's really helpful to think in terms of. 90 and 100 day or 120 day spread. Okay. That the world we're living in now requires that kind of agility, if you will, and for, adaptability. For, forgive me. We just um, finished a presidential. About, I'm sorry. Forgive me. We just finished a presidential election. So, you know, they always say the first 100 days in office. So that's kind of where that number came up. So forgive me about that. No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm totally with you. No, no. And, gotcha. and, I, and I think my, I think my, I think my, my observation is, we're finding ourselves in a world where the first hundred days is repeating itself over and over again. Gotcha. Because of the new challenges that we have. So I'm trying to combine the thinking of the first hundred days with the thinking of how do we use agile sprint Fair enough. to do the work that we're doing as leaders. Because I think that's what can really help motivate and drive production. We were talking a second ago about the role of teams. Teams almost always have a very clear end goal. And I think it's very helpful if you're managing an organization or a division or a startup or a team and that 100-day sprints that you're going through to have a very clear view as to what you want to achieve, what you're, as we talk about in Agile language, what's your MVP, minimum viable product, minimum right. viable goal that you're trying to achieve. I think the other thing that's interesting about 2021, the entire year really, is we have a very interesting challenge in 2021, Dominic. When we started 2020, almost all of us were looking at plans that we had developed in November and December of 2019. Right. Right. 2019 was a pretty good, really good year, right? If I, if I recall, it seems like a long time ago, it's a year ago, mm -hmm. right? So we developed these plans for 2020 and 2019. And by February in Asia and by March in the rest of the world, the entire world changed because of COVID. So everybody had to change the plans that they had, whatever they were, to either go faster or slower in a new direction. In 2021, in the first 100 days, we really have to be prepared to pivot in new ways. Right? Hopefully, we will be able to get through the what, what I would describe as the extended recovery period of COVID. That will happen sometime touch wood in 2021. 
But I think what's important early in 2021, throughout 2021, is for leaders and managers and entrepreneurs to, to think about where do they want to be at the end of that year and where do they want to be in early 2022? Because this two-year period from January 2020 to December 2021 is a unique shift for every business, right? If you are not on a new plane, if, you're on, if you are not in a new competitive space, if you've not taken advantage of work disrupted, to get on a new pathway for where your company is going, mm -hmm. you will find, I think, that the competition is going to put a lot of pressure on you because the world is changing around us very, very quickly. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, I, I want to ask you this because, you know, this goes back to what you were uh, you know, talking about teams or whatever. So I'm interested in, in your answer when it comes to this, because chapter three of your book, make an alternative work, a meaningful opportunity, the workplace will include more part-time contract freelance gig and, and, and uh, crowd workers, uh, if you will, you know, and, and I guess that could be, you know, because people don't want to be tied down this kind of, we're moving into a more gig economy when you think about uh, the Ubers and Lyfts and stuff like that. And, and I guess more traditional businesses are kind of going in that, in that same model, but on the flip side of that, does that kind of hurt, you know, culture building and team building a little bit, just a little bit, maybe. So we, um, it's interesting, Dominic, chatting with you um, today. Every question you ask has like two or three different curveballs in it. Sorry so about that. <laughs> we said, no, no, no. That, no, that's what makes it interesting. It's so, funny. It's funny you um, mentioned that. I was yeah, telling you, know, I was telling your colleague just now. I'm a, a Austin Red Sox fan, so I, I guess I maybe threw it in the atmosphere to kind of put a, put a baseball theme on today's show. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry. So, no, no, I, this is a great conversation from my side. Hopefully this for your and for the listeners to the podcast as well. Absolutely. Um, we're seeing a couple of things happen here, right? Again, um, this is the second big opportunity we have in the future of work, gotcha. which is to look at changing employment models. And this has been happening for a long time. Um, gig work is the most recent um, phenomenon that we're all familiar with, but but literally for about 75 or 80 years, Lewis Hyman, the labor economist at Cornell, wrote a terrific book called Temp, where he basically traces the growth of the alternative workforce from the end of World War, end of World War II. And, and there's no question now that we're in the middle, and we're right in the middle of a big shift, Dominic. And I think every company is seeing this, where, where you know, there are some, some of the biggest global companies and some of the small companies in our neighborhood mm -hmm. um, find themselves with a very similar workforce strategy. I'm calling it a workforce strategy, not an employee strategy, mm. because many of the people that work for them are not their employees. Gotcha. Some are employees and some are workers who may be contractors. They may be gig workers. They may be crowd workers. They may be part of an outsourced organization that's doing a piece of work. One of, one of, um, uh, organizations I've been working with uh, discussing this, but recently when we talked about workforces and workforce strategy, she basically used her hands to illustrate a set of concentric circles that were moving outward. So the inner circle were her employees. The next circle outside of that was some of their outsourcing partners. Then outside of that were independents. Outside of that were gig workers. Outside of that were crowd workers. And I think we're all increasingly finding that we are managing 
not just employees full and part-time, but we're managing a workforce ecosystem. Hmm. Now, the second part of your question sort of highlights what are some of the challenges with that? Right. And I'll, I'll summarize it. We can go into it, uh, obviously, if it's interesting uh, to pursue. Most of our management practices, including culture, including performance management, including supervision, including our employee benefits, I'll call them employee benefits, mm-hmm. are, are centered on that inner circle, employees. All right? And yet, increasingly, for many companies, and it's not an insignificant number, half of their employees or more are not in that inner employee circle. They're in all these other categories. So what management practices do we need? What does it mean for performance management? What does it mean for incentives? What does it mean for rewards? And obviously, what does it mean for culture and diversity and equity and inclusion to be leading and orchestrating that larger workforce? And on the flip side, and this is the other challenge here, there's some big regulatory and public policy issues here. In the United States, um, and this is a U.S. reference if you're listening to this globally, think about the way that we report taxes. We talk about a W-2 employee, how you're paid if you're an employee, and a 1099, somebody who's a a contractor. We need to be much much better as both businesses and, and as communities and government in terms of providing benefits and support to workers, regardless of which model they're part of, whether they're a part-time worker, a full-time worker, a gig worker, you know, in a lot of the interviews that I, I did in the book, there's a, a, a drum beat of a theme around how we need to get the public policy and the social issues right. We need versions of micropayments for, for benefits. We need employment protection. My own view is I don't know if we need to make everybody a full-time employee, But we should be able to find ways of giving every worker access to training, employee unemployment compensation, retirement, health care that in some way fits in with the different employment models that we're looking at. So there's a management practices piece and there's a whole bunch of public policy and regulatory issues in order to make this workforce ecosystem work for us the way that it might. All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. we got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. episode of the Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni-channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. 
So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow, and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're starting to see examples of exactly what you're saying. I know Uber has been offering uh, its drivers like some type of uh, like, you know, health benefits and other type of days off and stuff like that. Uh, now, granted, it could have been, you know, you know trying to, you know, uh, not be classified drivers as employers, you know, maybe from a business strategic standpoint, but the point of fact of the matter is they are kind of uh, doing some of that work that you were just talking about. So there's definitely examples out there like you were uh, just saying. I want to ask you this because we talked at the top of the show that you lived and work in, in many different places, right? You know, and so when we think about the future of work, you know, and we're in this very uh, interconnected global economy where, you know, somebody who's doing drop shipping in Omaha, Nebraska can easily do business in a China somewhere. Does the future of work look different, you know, depending on your geographical location? Like, the, you know, does it look different from the U.S. as opposed to Belgium, as opposed to Japan, as opposed to Israel? Uh, what are you seeing out there? Well, I love this question. Um, let me just sort of summarize what I'm, I'm hearing the question. So what is the future of work? What does the future of work look like around the world? Yes. Um, I have, I have some really, I have some, I'm very fortunate. I have some personal insight into this, mm -hmm. by the way, I think that this very well could be one of the themes of the next book that I write, which is, um, what is work disruptive really look like around the world? Gotcha. Um, you know, there are some similarities. I, I was very fortunate to, uh, in my working career, I've lived in Belgium. I've lived in, uh, Kenya. Um, I spent about five and a half years in India in 2011 and, and 2016. So there, there are some similarities. Um, there are some big cultural differences as well. Of course. Um, but the main forces that we've been talking about in today's discussion, the role of technology, the growth of, of middle classes as consumers, the demand for personalization, um, the global demographics, Although there are some differences, there are there are some mega trends. I'll use that expression um, um, around the world, and and there are two that I'll just very briefly highlight. Although we could spend a lot of time talking about the differences, one is the role of technology. Um, I was very fortunate in the years 2014 to 2016. When I was based in India, I actually moved from Delhi in 2014 to Mumbai, and I worked um, with one of the largest companies in the world, Reliance Industries, when they set up what's now the largest 4G company in India. I think it's the second largest 4G company in the world, the largest, you might guess, is in, in China. Um, and in a period of only a few years, I think that they went live with their solution in the market in 2017, 2018, mm -hmm. they, they introduced 4G to India and they, they went from zero to 400 million mobile, mobile 4G customers. And my point is 
that this mobile revolution, this connection revolution, is a is a global revolution, and that is having an impact on what we're doing um, around the world. Communication, the ability to use the internet for information processing. Uh, I think it's important to recognize how global some parts of this revolution um, are. I think the challenge we're seeing is how this is being applied in different parts of the world. Um, what's fascinating to watch um, when you look at what's happening in, let's say, the mobile payments um, businesses mm-hmm. and what's happened in banking in places like East Africa and Kenya and some of the work around healthcare and education in India, that we're seeing countries and regions around the world basically leapfrog from one stage of development to another. Again, I don't want to say that there aren't challenges here, Dominique. There are, but I think there are some there are some similarities. The big challenges are are cultural and the public policy issues that we were just referring to. But but from an entrepreneur and a business leadership perspective, these same forces of technology, consumer preferences, demographics, I think are driving some similar patterns around the world. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Let me do a quick reset here. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Jeff Schwartz. He is the author of, give me just a second. Where's my notes there? There it is. Uh, once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Jeff Schwartz. He is the author of Work uh, Disrupted, Opportunity, Resilience, and Growth in the Accelerated Future of Work. And once again, Startup Nation, that book is available right now. You have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on uh, the podcast. And I'm, I'm glad you talked about that, you know, because I imagine that it's also a, a way for as we become, you know, more uh, connected, not just from an you know, economic standpoint, but from a, you know, uh, every, more and more people having access to the Internet uh, around the world that allows for. Uh, the fu- I imagine the future of work also allows for more people who weren't part of the workforce to kind of enter the workforce uh, in a different way uh, matter. So I appreciate you kind of sharing that uh, as well. Uh, I'm curious to know uh, something and ask you something really quickly because I'm on your Twitter account uh, and you have this this uh, cartoon uh, in the book as well. And I want to kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of frame it here. Startup Nation, there's uh, a cartoon where it says AI is freeing up so much time in my schedule. And the person is responding, what are you going to do with all that free time? Uh, and the guy says, mostly worried about AI taking my job, which I think is a very funny uh, cartoon. Uh, but going, kind of going back just a little bit, uh, I'm curious, do you think as as more as AI does free up a little bit more time that maybe companies will have more time to do more philanthropy work as well? Not just supposed to just work for the bottom line? Well, again, Dominic, every time you ask a question, I come up with three or four things I want to That's say. That's good. Uh, as, so, look, as a uh, podcaster, we love very, that, that content. That is very so. good. That is very good. <laughs> that is very good. You are very provocative and I am easily provoked. So um, <laughs> the... Um, so let me just say one thing about the cartoons and I'm going to come to the, your question about sure. what do we do with this time um, that we have. So one of the, one of the really writing, writing a book is a lot of work as anybody who's ever written a book knows reading a book is a lot of work as well. I will certainly um, uh, recognize that uh, while we were working on this book, we, we did I think about 25 interviews with people around the world. Mm-hmm. We were very fortunate to work with uh, Tom Fishburne, who is a, I'm going to call him a business cartoonist. However you describe Tom, you don't really get it right, but he's a little bit of a magician. He's, as far as I know, he's one of the 
few cartoonists, maybe the only cartoonist who went to Harvard Business School. Um, and uh, he's just a very insightful and imaginative illustrator. And we, we have 25 original cartoons in the book, including the one that you just mentioned. And, and part of this was important to us because we wanted to make the future of work, Tom Fishburne and Suzanne Reese, who's the, the writer and researcher I work with, mm-hmm. we, we wanted to make the future of work accessible, both to business leaders and to um, people thinking about their careers, whether they're early, mid, uh, or, or moving on in their career, but also to, to community leaders. Um, and this question of what do we do with the time that we free up is, is one of the really fundamental questions about the future of work. And, and there, are, there, are two, there, are, there are a couple sides of it. I think you've hit on them in your... So this question about what we do with the time that we free up is, is really fundamental to, to the book. I mentioned earlier, one of the people we interviewed and uh, whose work I think is fantastic is um, Lewis Hyman, uh, this labor economist from Cornell. And when we talked with Lewis, one of the questions we asked him, Dominique, was, you know, we're futurists, so we asked about the future. So what do you right. think employment labor models are going to look like in 2030? And and this was a, a Zoom call, but so I, I could see Lewis sort of smiling, looking quizzically. And he said, well, the future of work and employment models isn't deterministic. It, it's largely a question, or it's in part a question, of what we want the future to be. How do we want to use the time going forward? How do we want to use the time, whether as business leaders, to focus on the various stakeholders that we're working with? We're in the middle of a big stakeholder capitalism discussion, a much broader discussion. Of course. So how do we apply our time to efficiency and productivity? How do we apply time to philanthropy and community activities? We talk a lot about the, the social enterprise. Um, and it really is the, the, the core question for business and organizational leaders, which is, um, are you focusing on cost alone and efficiency? Are you also focusing beyond cost on value, creating new services, new products, working with new customers? But as you asked in your question about philanthropy, are we also thinking beyond cost and economic value, are we thinking about social value? Are we thinking about meaning and impact in the community? Are we thinking about questions like sustainability? And I think this is something we are hopefully accelerating our thinking around, which is, are we thinking about cost, value, and meaning together? Are we thinking not only about where the future of work is driving us, but where we want to drive the future of work, how we want to use that time as individuals and businesses right. and communities. So again, you can see I get wound up on these questions. They're 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 pretty great questions, Dominic. I appreciate that. I appreciate that for uh, sure. And you know, I just want to say before I ask the last question, to say thank you so much for coming on uh, the show. We we definitely enjoyed your book uh, and we've enjoyed our conversation once again Startup Nation that book is Work Disrupted Opportunity Resilience and Growth in the Accelerated Future of Work and so uh, Jeff I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because you know given everything that's going on craziness all around us uh, just kind of share some words of encouragement to take us out for today if you don't mind 
Well, a couple of things, Dominic. Sure. Let me start by thanking you. Let me start by thanking you and your listeners for the opportunity to have a conversation about the book. Um, uh, I've been working on this book in some way for about seven years, actively writing it for the last two. Um, uh, very much uh, influenced by the uh, events of, of 2020. The absolutely, you know, what we thought was the COVID, very what we timely, thought was the COVID the moment. Right. It's turned into the COVID era, <laughs> um, which, which is not something we, we all um, uh, um, expected. And and what I what I've been trying to do in in the book in this book, work disrupted, is provide effectively a, a set of maps, if you will, to how to think about work, careers, management. And what it means for us as individuals and organizational leaders and citizens and communities in the 21st century, this idea that that we are navigating with old maps, I think, is a is a big challenge. Um, it is not people or machines; it's people and machines, as mm, we've discussed. Right. Um, uh, careers are not once and done. Careers are not. I get an education, I work, and then I do that work for 30 years, and then I retire. Careers have become portfolios of, of ongoing lifelong reinvention. It's a very different model right. as to what we're looking at. We talked briefly about the role of teams. We talked about how the role of leaders and managers is changing from supervision um, and monitoring um, to a much more uh, intense role of coaching and designing um, and uh, thinking like a psychologist and a digital entrepreneur, which are really new ways of being. These are all mental shifts, I think, that, that we course. need to um, think about. And I guess my final comments are, I'm going to summarize um, the sort of last part of the book in a couple of lines and then, and then offer one parted thought. Sure. The, the last part of the book literally is what I call, what we call playbooks for individuals business leaders, and for citizens and communities. For, for individuals, the title of the chapter is Carpe Diem, uh, which is a very interesting expression to use right now, Dominic, right. Yeah. which is there is, a new, there is a new day. Um, sometimes it's hard to see, but there is a new day. And a lot of the responsibility and opportunity for future careers and future work Given where our institutions are at, which is not necessarily where we would necessarily would like them to be, there's a lot of responsibility that falls to individuals. And and um, part of what we try to do in this chapter is talk about what we can do as individuals to take advantage of this new day. In uh, in the chapter on on business and organization leadership, we really focus front and center on the opportunity for leaders of businesses and organizations to, to ask the fundamental question, what work are we doing in our company? And how does that work drive cost, value, growth, and impact and meaning? Or put another way, as businesses, we have to do something more than be efficient and productive. We have to produce and create something new that's valuable and has impact. And then this, this last chapter on, on public policy, um, which is a little bit of an ambitious chapter, if I can put it that way. Um, Dominic basically says, what do we need? What do we want as citizens and members of communities 
to really look at the intersection of business and economic value, which is a lot of what the book is about. But how do we intersect the focus on economic value, which is a big part of what we do as business leaders and entrepreneurs? Of course. And how does that intersect with social? How does that intersect with social and communal and community values? Right? Are we set up and do we have the mental models and the frameworks to support, as we talked about, gig workers, to support people who are constantly in job and work transition? So I, I challenge us to think about moving beyond the social safety net to an idea that I call a transition net. How do we help people throughout their lives move through the different transitions that they need to do? And this chapter is, is titled Reset. Right. How do we reset? our education and our public policies to get there. And I'll, I'll end with one final story. Sure. Um, somebody asked me, um, sort of what, what's the first step I would recommend for somebody trying to set a future focused agenda for their, for their workplace. And I, I, I laugh when I hear this question because hopefully you'll forgive me telling this story, but it reminds me of a very famous story about president Kennedy who is talking with a gardener about planting trees near the White House maybe 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and Kennedy asked about um, if they planted an olive tree, how long it would take to bear fruit. And basically the gardener said, you know, it takes a few years. You probably won't see this. You may not actually be president when it happens because it takes a while for these trees to actually take root and to grow fruit. Right. Um, the fruit really doesn't come fast. And then President Kennedy said, well, in that case, plant the tree today. Um, if something takes a while, if something is important and of consequence, we need to really focus on it now. And I think this is part of the challenge for us as we go into 2021 and 2022, which is the world is shifting around us. I think we have the opportunity to recognize that these shifts are coming um, one of the phrases I use in the book is I think it's, uh, I talk about the importance of pivoting, not panicking, um, as we look at what's um, happening. I think the generation of workers who are in the workforce today, people working between 1995 and 2030, which is a lot of the listeners we have who are at different ages, we're living through one of the most concentrated disruption periods for workers in history. Right. Um, and I think that means that we have a lot of opportunity. We have a lot of adapting to do. We have a lot of growth and a lot of choices in front of us. And and that's really where I try to end uh, um, the framing of what I've been trying to do in this book on Work Disrupted. I hear that. And we definitely appreciate uh, that book and, and all the content and the, and the insight uh, for it. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Once again, we want to thank Jeff Schwartz for coming on, so, on the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you, Dominic. Really enjoyed it today. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, 
please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life.